Another business hit with a ransomware attack. Issues with cybersecurity have shut down yet another Midwestern The data breaches put the information of millions at risk. Here to give you peace of mind in an industry that moves faster than the speed of light. This is your weekly tech-in. Hello world, this is Patrick Souls, the founder of Soul Tech Solutions, and welcome again to the Weekly Tech In Podcast, where we give you peace of mind working with an industry that moves faster than the speed of light. Remote work. Some of us love it. Most of us love it. Some of us hate it. Looking at you supervisors and bosses and managers. Um, but here's the true thing, is it's here to stay. Uh, I really don't see remote work ending anytime soon. It's a, a, some people consider it an artifact of the pandemic, the, uh, global, uh, I almost said global worldwide. Yeah. Those are the same thing, Patrick, the global pandemic we experienced with COVID-19, uh, made a lot of businesses rapid switch to almost con- entirely remote work. And now we see, uh, most businesses embracing a hybrid sort of environment. And I really think that is kind of ending up as the sweet spot. Uh, we even have some research showing a 56% reduction in unproductive time, uh, with staff members working from home versus in the office. So it's, there's something about working from home and having more control over your environment that seems to inspire people to be more productive. Uh, so it's here to stay, whether you like it or not, though I think most of us do like it. But here's the thing. Remote work does come with some risks, uh, especially from an IT environment. Uh, as an as an IT administrator, uh, thinking about all of the uh, users that I would have to manage that would never come in to see me <laughs> uh, if I were still in an enterprise environment, uh, shivers down my spine. Sivers, whatever those are, and. Uh, yeah, it's uh <laughs> it can be kind of chaos to control. Uh here's a here's a few things um that are mostly security risks that have to do with remote work and then um what you can do about it each uh for each instance. So the first things first, uh weak account security. You have less control uh as an employer or as an IT administrator over uh the accounts people are using to access things, their passwords, um, if they're using multi-factor authentication, uh, that sort of thing. Employees, even when they're working from home, are accessing highly sensitive or important stuff. And if they're doing that with a password, that's the name of their dog, one, two, three, exclamation mark, because they need that uh, special character. It's still not very secure. And honestly, you shouldn't feel very comfortable with that. Um, but the truth is... Uh, you can enforce multi-factor authentication to help out with that uh, account security a little bit, as well as uh, there are account access systems um, that can kind of put that sort of thing in your control. Uh, me personally, I uh, for some of my clients and also for my own uh, company, I use a, a universal cloud directory that before uh, any user signs into any service, um, the cloud directory does a check on that device to make sure it's an authorized device. And then that device does a health check to make sure it's not compromised by viruses or anything like that. And once it passes those authentications, then they're allowed to log in. Um, and so that's um, one way to get around that um, or to add security to the account level stuff. 
The other thing that you deal with a lot uh, with remote workers is uh, <laughs> their very unsecure home Wi-Fi or even less secure public Wi-Fi that they might be working from. So the problem here is that when you're working off of a Wi-Fi, especially in a public place like at a McDonald's or something, all of your traffic is traveling from your computer through radio waves to a router that everyone else is also accessing. Meaning if someone else has access to that router or has data in that router, has a connection to that router, they can hypothetically access all the data that's going through it. And that should be a nightmare for you. In fact, uh, that has been a, uh, a, a serious security risk that's been addressed, um, uh, time and time again by, uh, other podcasts and, and IT professionals. And I'm sure, I'm sure you, you've heard all the horror stories of working from the hotel wifi or working from the, uh, McDonald's wifi or something like that, the Starbucks. Um, so you've got remote workers. They're going to work from somewhere other than their bedroom or home office sometimes. You might have workers or salespeople who are traveling across the country and staying in hotels and they still need to work. So what do you do? Uh, well, you might have heard the term VPN before. This is an easy answer to this problem. Uh, VPN stands for virtual private network. And essentially what that's going to do is it's going to establish a uh, connection, a virtual connection over the Internet that goes directly between your employee's computer and your network at your office or headquarters. Uh, and then uh, that data is like in its own little tunnel protected by encryption. So uh, the data traveling through that tunnel uh, is is protected from any other intrusions from the outside. And even if they were to uh, a hacker were to grab that data as it's traveling through a public uh, Wi-Fi, it would just be scrambled code because they don't have the decryption. You can also leverage something called a SASE, Secure Access Service Edge. Uh, you'll never have to actually know what that means um, because this is something that you're an IT partner or uh, administrator would handle. Um, just ask them about a SASE because that's what we call it because we think we're funny. Um, but essentially, this works a lot like a VPN. Um, except it's connecting to a cloud first, a very secure cloud, and then your network at uh, HQ or your business location or what have you, whatever resource they're accessing, your server, that sort of thing, is also connecting to the cloud. And then the SASE handles every all the data connecting and sending and receiving. Um, again, all encrypted. So uh, it's, it's not going to be grabbed by a, another... Uh, hacker uh, as it's moving through those things like routers and uh, open Wi-Fi's. The other problem with remote workers is that they make fantastic phishing targets and not the fun kind of phishing where they're on vacation. Um, think about it this way. If you were working in an office with your boss uh, in the next room and you got an email from your boss saying this account or this invoice needs paid immediately, send it via wire to this routing number. You'd probably get up and go ask your boss if that was a legitimate email uh, and if that was what you were supposed to do. Uh, if you're a remote worker, oh, that's an example of a phishing email, by the way, <laughs> if, if that weren't obvious. Uh, your remote worker um, doesn't have that option to just easily get up and go ask the boss. And so they'll, they're quicker to make assumptions that like, oh, well, the boss sent me this email. I should probably follow through on that invoice. Um, so what do you do about that? Security training, number one, first and foremost, employees and human error account for almost 90% of all cybersecurity threats. So you should be doing that anyway. Um, but educating them specifically on what phishing emails look like and uh, having um, procedures in place for things like 
paying bills and uh, invoices and managing those kinds of things that should require uh, oversight from someone else. And then also using third-party email security. Uh, if you're on Microsoft 365 or Google Workspace, they have their own email security and it is proficient, but uh, you don't want your doctor to be proficient, so you don't want your email security to be proficient either. Uh, you want the best. So get a third-party one, preferably one that runs off of artificial intelligence because a lot of these threats are being generated by AI. Fight fire with fire. The other issue you're going to run into with remote workers is insecure uh, Internet of Things devices. Think your smart home stuff. Um, we have uh, the common ones are, you know, the thermostats or uh, cameras, um, smart speakers. Now we have smart doorbells and smart refrigerators and that kind of thing. They all need connected to the Internet and anything that has a connection to the Internet is a p potential breach point for a cybersecurity threat. Um, so... What do you do about that? The problem being, while these things do get updates for security, they're harder to update. Your employees are less likely to update them. You can't really rely on that. Um, the good news is I already recommended Sassy. Sassy will help with this. Um, also, uh, an endpoint device manager that uh, can control what the, your employee's computer has access to, uh, assuming they are using a um, a device given to them by the business. If they're not, if this is a bring your own device environment, you can still use an endpoint device manager or mobile device manager, MDM, um, to enforce different security policies on that device as long as they are logged into their business account. So uh, it, it's something that you're probably already doing uh, will help um, secure from uh, any sort of breach points from an Internet of Things device. Uh, remote workers also have a tendency to not update their computer as frequently. I don't know what this is. I don't know why this is. Um, but statistics show, yeah, uh, someone who's working remotely is less likely to run things like windows updates than someone who works in an office. Um, this is an easy one though. Uh, device policies, if it's a business owned device or device management, if it's a bring your own device, like I mentioned, can force auto updates. Or something like uh, an RMM tool. RMM stands for Remote Monitoring and Maintenance. Um, this is what I use for my uh, clients uh, for Soltech Solutions. And I use that to uh, push through updates and uh, to approve, ignore, and then set things on a schedule and that sort of thing. Uh, and those kinds of tools are also available for larger enterprises. And then the last thing uh, that could be a significant issue with remote workers is potential data loss. Um, we already mentioned they're working with lots of data, important data, um, they're generating data, working on documents. Those documents might be saved locally to their computer. Um, it could be a disaster if they have a work-issued laptop that they're using next to their pool outside and enjoying the lovely weather since they have the opportunity, since they're remote working. Uh, and then they stand up and accidentally knock it into the pool uh, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, also, laptops are just accident-prone in general. So um, how do you prevent all of the things that they are doing, all the work that they're doing on the computer from being lost entirely if something happens to that computer. First and foremost, you should probably use some cloud services like OneDrive or Google Drive, something like that. Um, it's going to help with collaboration anyway because then everyone has access to the files they need and they're stored on a, on a cloud and read, readily available on any device that that person is logged in and is allowed to log in on. 
Um, secondly, you should already have a business continuity and disaster recovery plan in place. All of my clients has some kind of backup done on all of their machines in the case of a disaster. Um, this is kind of your, like, if all else fails, we can recover with, you know, whatever the last backup was, which should be on a schedule. It's probably no less than a 24 hour backup. Every 24 hours, a backup's run. Um, and so, with that in place, even if they do kick their laptop into a pool, you send them a new work computer, you probably already have access to that data, and you've loaded it up onto that computer before you send it to them. It's like nothing ever happened, except you might be taking something out of their paycheck. So I think we all know how to avoid getting viruses. When you get a suspicious email, don't open it. Don't click anything in it. Don't download a file attached to it. Stay away from sketchy websites, and don't download third-party software. Usually a pretty good thing, except now we're seeing a rise of this uh, threat called zero-click malware. And yes, it does sound scary. It kind of is. So you might have heard back in 2019, WhatsApp had a really big data breach. And that data breach actually started with zero-click malware that was initiated from a missed call. The person didn't even pick up the call. But because there was a connection made to the device the way this zero-click malware was uh, deployed... Um, I got through to the machine and then, uh, was able to start scraping data. Um, and then there was another, uh, bug in iMessage recently, uh, for iPhones where a zero click attack was able to t- completely take over the phone through iMessage and you didn't even have to interact with the message that you got. So it's, it's kind of a scary thing since we're taught don't interact with the, the sketchy stuff, the suspicious stuff. Don't click, don't download, just stick to what you know, uh, and you'll be fine. And now, now this, there's, there's this threat here that it doesn't even matter if you look at it, right? It's, it's going to, as long as the connection's made, it's going to deploy whatever it's ransomware, a data scraper, or Trojans to thro- throw more viruses into the system. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of scary, but there is a light at the end of this tunnel, and that is there are legitimate ways to fight this threat, um, and you're probably already doing a lot of it. So first and foremost, make sure you're keeping your software up to date. The people who make your software, um, whether it's Windows, Microsoft with Windows for your operating system, updating regularly, or... Adobe Creative Cloud, if you're into Photoshop and other, their, uh, their other creative apps, um, those updates a lot of times include security patches when they find something that can be a vulnerability and taken advantage of through zero-click malware. So by keeping your software up to date, you're helping protect yourself. You also need robust endpoint security. What I mean is you need more than just antivirus. You need something like uh, endpoint detection response or even a managed detection response, uh, where someone is constantly monitoring your, um, threat intelligence level, uh, and that sort of thing, um, to make sure that not only known viruses aren't coming through, uh, or, uh, um, unleashing their payload is the word that we use, which I know sounds super scary. Uh, but then also uh, a good EDR solution is going to be analyzing behavior of applications and cutting off anything that looks suspicious or like a vulnerability. Uh, another technique you might use is network segmentation. This works great in larger offices where 
only certain office like departments are connected together and and have um, an, a network connection to the servers that they need access to and that sort of thing and just kind of keeping separate uh, keeping things isolated away from um, other networks so that uh, zero click malware if it does um, fire off it's not spreading across the network and wreaking havoc across the entire system um, you should also be doing regular vulnerability assessments. And what this is going to do is um, help you realize what your attack surface is. Where can, where are we threatened? Um, and uh, we mentioned in a previous episode, starting with what is the sensitive stuff? What needs protected? And the branching out from there. Um, but this should be done regularly and it should be documented. And beyond just doing the assessment, actually doing anything you need to, to, uh, build upon where those vulnerabilities are. And then this is an easy one. It can help a lot. Just uninstall unnecessary applications. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of software on your computer that you might have needed once or twice or, or you need every once in a while. And so you just leave it sit there. But if you think about it this way, um, zero, zero click malware can use vulnerabilities in software code. So the more pieces of software you have on your computer, the more potential vulnerabilities you have. So the easiest way to minimize those vulnerabilities, get rid of the software you're not using. If it's something you only use once in a while, just download it when you need it. On that note, when you are downloading software, don't download from third-party sites. This should be common knowledge, um, except I know there's a lot of resistance when we're using things like the app, uh, Apple App Store or the um, the Windows Store on uh, Windows 10 and 11. Um, there's resistance to it because it's like, oh, they just want me to use their store so that they can get their cut or whatever. And that's not really why that's there. That's there because they vet every single application that gets posted to that to make sure that it's not – uh, it's not malware itself, that it doesn't have malware attached to it, uh, and that it's uh, it comes from a trust, trusted and reliable source. So as much as possible, only download apps from official app stores. If you have a business, uh, your IT partner or IT department should be managing all apps that are on devices uh, by using policy and deploying it themselves so that your staff members, your employees, your team members, they don't have to be downloading the stuff by themselves anyway. And so that'll help uh, cover that, that vulnerability. And uh, overall, just make sure you're talking to your, your IT consultant or a service provider about uh, security assessments and that sort of thing. Um, just to make sure you're not already vulnerable to something like this and uh, you get yourself protected and covered as soon as you can. Really, it's a scary sounding thing and it can be, but uh, the steps to mitigate it are uh, pretty simple and uh, something that is available to everyone. Stinger. So here's a riddle for you. When is junk not junk? I'll give you a hint. When you actually send email to someone and they're supposed to receive it. So sometimes you will send mail to people through your uh, authorized and authenticated business email to clients, customers, or people within your organization, and it still ends up in their junk folder. Why is that? Um, well, here's the story. Spam and phishing is a serious problem. Uh, we've talked about it many times. Uh, phishing accounts for almost 71% of cybersecurity threats, or at least initiating those cybersecurity threats. And email security methods get a little bit overzealous sometimes. Um, but with proper authentication, your email should go through. Um, now, 
here's my warning. I'm about to throw a lot of technical terms at you. And it's not really something you control. It's something your IT partner or IT administrator should be taking care of for you. If not, these are the things to bring to their attention. So first and foremost, uh, the very, very first uh, authentication policy that email used to help differentiate spam from um, email that should be delivered is F- SPF. No, I'm not talking about sunscreen. Uh, it stands for send, Sender Policy Framework, and it's essentially a pre-approved list of who can send email from a domain. It sits on the domain. The domain is everything after the at symbol, by the way. Uh, so it sits on the domain and has, it's a list of all the people who are allowed to send email from that domain. Uh, this is the number one and easiest way to prevent things like business email compromise uh, and, and domain spoofing and email spoofing. Uh, so it works on the sender's side to make sure that um, email being sent is authorized and authenticated. And then there is DKIM, which stands for Domain Keys Identified Mail. And that allows the receiver to check that the email was authorized by the sender. So uh, basically, it's it's a key that or a signature that travels along with the email that says, hey, we authorized this. So it's related to the SPF we just talked about. Um, once SPF says, oh, this is an authorized email, we're allowed to send this, it attaches this, this signature to it. When the receiver gets the email, they see that signature, it says, hey, we, this was authorized, we sent this on purpose. And then the receiver sends the email to the proper inbox. Um, when I say sender and receiver, I am talking about email servers in this case. So uh, that will usually cover most things, but we have been seeing a lot of uh, different um, email spoofing attacks bypassing these two authentication measures uh, through a large, varied degree of different types of attacks. So um, recently, another authentication method was uh, created called DMARC. Um, and this is the one that I keep seeing missing from domain names and domain registries. Uh, so do- DMARC is domain-based message authentication, reporting, and conformance. Um, yeah, this, there's a reason we use so many uh, acronyms. But uh, so basically it's built off of the platform that SPF DKIM already started. Um, and what it does is it tells the recipient what to do if the email it received did not pass SPF or DKIM. And um, there's essentially three options. It's don't do anything, let it through, uh, then reject it, and then we'll report it, or um, quarantine it, and we'll report it. So you can actually legitimately have this information, uh, this this uh, command stored on your domain service, um, and not have it actually do anything. It's not actually telling the receiver to reject the mail. Uh, but that what I'm seeing often, um, and whether it's with my own clients or with people who are calling me about this problem about email deliverability is that if the recipient doesn't see a DMARC instruction, even if it were, so even if the instruction were to be do nothing, just because it does not see the instruction at all, it automatically rejects. And so this is a very, very common for people who are using Google Workspace or Gmail, um, a little bit less common, but still common for uh, people using Microsoft 365. So even if you don't want to have this report sent of all the emails who went through and which ones were rejected and you don't have a space for quarantined emails or what have you, you can still add this DMARC 
uh, command to your uh, domain service. And it's just by the recipient seeing that command, it's going to say, oh, okay, so I, I've seen the instructions. I know it's authenticated or that it wasn't authenticated. Now I get to choose what to do with it. Um, so it's actually a really easy fix. Um, but these are all things that not only protect you, they protect the people you're already doing business with and who you might be emailing. So that is in order SPF, DKIM, and DMARC, D-M-A-R-C. Uh, as long as you have all those in place, the only thing stopping your email from uh, not going to a junk folder then is you. Um, if you are sending mass amounts of emails, they have a low click-through rate, meaning people aren't opening them. Um, they are going to uh, lots of email addresses that are outside of your organization, things like that, it starts to look suspicious. Like maybe your email account is being used as a bot to send spam emails or phishing emails. Uh, and so you'll, your IP and your domain could be flagged. Um, so that is a little bit harder to fix. That takes time and it can be very, very frustrating. So be sure, uh, send single emails at a time. If you need to send mass emails, use a mass emailing system like MailChimp, not sponsored, not saying you need to use MailChimp, Chimp, but that is one of the examples uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. I think there's also MailGun and MailGlue, um, but use a mass email sender for that kind of thing so that your own domain is not getting flagged for sending spam. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Next week, we'll talk about some technologies that could be your small business superpower, the rise of LinkedIn sales bots and how to know if you're talking to one, and yet another cool AI tool from Microsoft called Designer. If you have any questions about what you heard in today's episode, or if you have questions you'd like to have answered in a future episode, please feel free to reach out by emailing questions at soltech.solutions. That's S-O-U-L-T-E-C dot solutions. And until then, thank you for listening. And please, I'm begging you, don't open those emails from that Nigerian prince. This is Patrick, logging out.